I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast. To start listening. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Daily Roto Hour here on SportsGrid TV. My name is Davis Manic. You can find me on Twitter at Davis Manic. I'm joined today by Ricky Sanders, and uh, it is Scott Fishbowl week. If you are unfamiliar with the Scott Fishbowl, it is a large fantasy football tournament, actually really the largest fantasy football tournament, uh, and all the proceeds generated from the draft go for charity. Uh, Both fans of the fantasy football industry and analysts in the fantasy football industry are invited on a yearly basis, and Ricky, you and I are, are both in the draft this year, though we are in different divisions. Why don't you uh, tell people a little bit about the Scott Fishbowl? So the Scott Fishbowl is interesting because the scoring changes each year. So every year you have to do your research. And this year, um, well, A, there's a ton of divisions, which are 12 teams deep in the divisions, which we should probably talk about. Uh, And there's a draft on myfantasyleague.com. And this year, the rules were... I don't even know how you describe them like simply the rules were basically there were passing completions and incompletions added for quarterbacks. So, I mean, it's kind of your standard scoring. There's six points for passing touchdowns. So maybe that's more than like the average for passing touchdown, you know, point league. And there's points for first downs in this league. So, you know, last year it was more heavily weighted towards tight ends. This year it's more heavily weighted towards uh, basically accurate quarterbacks and those who are receiving a heavy workload, both uh, from a rushing and receiving perspective, because you do want all those first downs. And basically the draft starts for everyone, all these divisions at the same time. And you can see on Twitter, if you see that hashtag SFBX, that's people talking about their drafts and or everyone else's. So if you're confused on Twitter why you see that hashtag over and over and over, be confused no more. Yeah, so I expect the way I would define the scoring, Ricky, is it's an attempt to make all four positions equal, right? To make quarterbacks have, you know, to make the 32nd quarterback a guy who needs to be rostered, to make the 24th uh, the 24th, you know, tight end valuable because not only are we getting points for first downs, but tight ends get extra points for first down, extra points for perceptions, you know. So I, I love it. I love a, a hyper balance format like this. 
Yeah, I do too. And it's crazy to see, like even through three rounds, the difference in opinion across the industry of how people have attacked this draft. Uh, you've seen people with two quarterbacks out of the first three rounds. You've seen people, you know, not take running backs basically till the 10th round. You've seen people load up on receivers. You've seen so many different strategies because of this scoring that I wish that more leagues were like this, where people could basically look at it and think about it the way that they want. And there would be so many unique builds that you're just not used to seeing. I love the way they, they've approached it this year. Yeah. So, uh, you know, this is, I think, you know, one of the, you know, one of the, this is kind of the beginning of the fantasy football season for most people. This is when people start to really grind. You know, we have, there were Scott Fishbowl mock drafts and, you know, just, just many people are starting to get really excited about fantasy football at this time. So it's always, you know, it's always a, a great time of the year for all of us. And, uh, how are you? How are you feeling about your draft so far? How many how many years in a, in a row have you participated in this? This has got to be at least year five ish. I've been in this for a while. Um, last year was the first year that my team went deep into the playoffs. I've had some injuries kind of bone me or in some previous seasons. I've had some not great drafts, and last year finally felt good about it. And so I think we're on about year five. If if I had to you know testify under oath. But I feel good. I mean, I was just playing the let's go best available game. And I went wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver, which I feel like has not been the consensus. Uh, I've seen so many drafts where quarterbacks were flying off the board. And I happen to be fortunate enough to play in a division where quarterbacks seem to fly early. And then people decided, like, after basically Carson Wentz, uh, that they were fine slowing down. So basically taking the wide receivers didn't cost me as much as I thought it was, as I thought it would at the quarterback, you know, position. And some guys fell that I like. So I think from a value perspective, I have been doing very well. If you want to just go pick by pick so far, at pick 106, I took Michael Thomas, which I think some, you know, in other drafts that I was seeing, Michael Thomas, because he was a receiver, was going like 110. Uh, so I think I, I was early on him there. Then Devontae Adams, then DeAndre Hopkins, then James Conner, because I felt like I needed a back. Then your boy Cam Akers. Then the quarterbacks fell. Daniel Jones, Jared Goff, and Mike Gesicki is where I am through eight rounds. What do you think, Davis? Because I, I feel pretty confident about that, to be honest. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I like I like your start. I think, um, you know, the the tricky part you run into with this scoring is, I, you know, I do I do think you are giving up quite a bit if you don't have an elite quarterback coming out of the first two rounds. So I actually the first time ever uh, I've also done this for about five years. I'm not even I'm not even exactly sure you know how many years in a row I've done it. But this is I know the first year that I ever started with. Not only have I never taken a quarterback in the first round before, but I selected two quarterbacks with my first two picks. I took Patrick Mahomes in the first round at the 104, and then I selected Kyler Murray in the second round with the 209. I I briefly considered taking tight. Well, not briefly, actually. I, I really, I really thought about it um, that, you know, I, I wanted to take Tyreek Hill to complete the stack with Patrick Mahomes. You know, I do think uh, I basically, I think that uh, in this format, this tournament format, you absolutely have to be stacking or you're pretty much dead in the water to win the overall. But I, I ended up taking Kyler Murray. I mean, how do you feel about that, Ricky, starting with two quarterbacks overall? I mean, that was my initial plan going in. I just didn't want to take Dak Prescott at six. Both Mahomes and um, and Lamar Jackson were gone by then. So it was basically Michael Thomas, receivers, or Kelsey. And I started Kelsey last year, so I just kind of wanted to do something different. And with the first downs, I mean, who's going to catch more first downs than Michael Thomas with the ridiculous volume that he received? So for me personally, I wanted to go with some version of your strategy. I just couldn't pull it off in the draft spot I was in. Uh, I thought it, it's unique. That's for sure. I mean, Patrick Mahomes to me makes so much sense in this format. I would have loved to have gotten him. I'm not sure where I stand on Kyler Murray. I guess you're probably going to get a bunch of rushing first downs with him because of the way he uses his legs. Uh, but the completions and incompletions is where it'll be 
it'll be interesting to see the development for Kyler Murray in year two, because it's either going to be a reach if we get like an inconsistent Kyler Murray who can't finish, you know, drives off in the red zone, you see a bunch of incompletions, or you get the second year growth with him having a true number one receiver in DeAndre Hopkins, and he's going to be worth every bit of a second rounder, could be pushing first round value in this draft. So I think it was a little bit risky, but because of the wide receivers that you landed after those two, I think you have to be feeling really, really good about what you've done. Yeah, uh, and and I think the the best part to me about the Scott Fishbowl, I, I think, is you, I don't actually think there's a way you can leave your draft feeling really good about your team, even even if you have the best possible team. And uh, our buddy, J.J. Zacharyson, at the late round QB, he pretty much has, I think, what I, I've seen to be the you know the best overall team thus far. His, his draft, they, they just gave it up to him. So he's selecting from the 102, and uh, he started with, Kenyon Drake, or he started with Saquon Barkley, then he took Kenyon Drake, then he got Mark Andrews in this hyper tight end premium format, then Chris Godwin, then DJ Moore, and his league mates, you'd be thinking, oh, well, he's screwed at quarterback, right? And no, he he's not. Uh, Josh Allen and Jared Goff, he's able to get at the 611 and the 702. So unless, unless you are doing Unless your league just gives it to you like that, I think you're pretty much always leaving your draft hating at least one of your positions. Yeah, and it's so deep, the amount of guys that you have to start in this league, we should mention, that you basically have to start, I think it's, uh, is it nine flex players, if you include tight end? So uh, it's, it's, you have to start one quarterback, two running backs, three wide receivers, but then there's four flex spots, uh, with one being a super flex. Exactly. So by the time you get to the end, I mean, you think you're going to be running thin somewhere. But if you have a league like JJ's where you have DJ Moore fall as your fifth guy, uh, it's just really hard to say anything bad about this team. I guess if you had to nitpick here, it's Josh Allen isn't a perfect fit for this format. But then again, I have Daniel Jones as my QB one, who's just kind of the guy who fell. And T.Y. Hilton, I mean, he's relying on the heavy volume from a small aging receiver, which you may not get. But I think that's pretty much nitpicking, considering he got Mike Kosicki around later than I did. He got Jared Goff the same round. I mean, he's just had a phenomenal draft. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think this is the biggest element of strategy that is different in the Scott Fishbowl versus a normal league is you really can because you could start up to seven, but more, you know, more likely six guys. I, I really think that it is fine to draft like five or six straight wide receivers because, you know, if we're just thinking of, of like 2019 points, you know, Terry McLaurin is going to outscore Le'Veon Bell. Uh, Keenan Allen is going to outscore David Montgomery. And, you know, in a normal league where you're thinking of like running backs, uh, of running back scoring and ceilings and everything, you know, you, you'd probably rather have David Montgomery than Keenan Allen. But in this format... I don't even really think it's close. I, I think you are just wanting to jam in the wide receivers. Yeah, the thing is, is that wide receivers in a bunch of these leagues have seemed to have fallen. So I think it it makes sense to have two ample running backs that you that you have some form of faith in, just because you're probably going to be able to get some receivers later that you wouldn't in other leagues. So from an opportunity cost perspective, I mean, if you're trying to start a guy who's going to get you know five to ten touches a week as opposed to a second workhorse. Uh, I don't think there's going to be as big of discrepancy between like the wide receiver you would get in the ninth round, the wide receiver you would get in the fourth round because of how far guys are falling. Yeah, I, I certainly think that's true. I mean, I, uh, you know, in it, it is not uncommon to be sitting there in the eighth round and be seeing guys who, you know, literally in some drafts. Uh, so, so for example, right now uh, in the eighth round in my league, they're still available. Stefan Diggs, Tyler Lockett, Devontae Parker, Tyler Boyd, Marquise Brown, and that, you know, not to mention in terms of super flex leagues, because my league has kind of just been so running back heavy. Joe Burrow's still there, Tua's still there, Drew Locke, Sam Darnold, Tenny Bridgewater, Justin Herbert, Derek Carr, Phillip Rivers, Dwayne Haskins. I mean, there's loads of value to be had if your league goes heavy on the running backs. Exactly, which I feel like a bunch of them did. And then you know, if you just have one or two backs that you feel good about, uh, you could really just load up on receivers. And if you hit at all with your late round backs, 
you could just cruise in this league. So there's different ways to look at it. I personally wanted two backs I felt good about, but I think that's it for me for running backs for a while. I want to just now draft best available players, and considering the backs that are left, which are basically all guys in splits at this point, I thought Devin Singletary was the last like true guy on the, the heavy side of a workload. Now I'm just, you know, basically which wide receiver and or tight end looks like he's going to score the most points and boom, come to my roster for quite a while. Yep. All right, everyone, we're going to head to break. We'll be back here in just a few moments. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome back from break here on the Daily Roto Hour on SportsGrid TV. I'm Davis Maddock here today with Ricky Sanders. We are covering the Scott Fishbowl right now, a massive charity fantasy football tournament uh it's used to basically raise money for toys for tots and a bunch of other child focused charities uh scott fish organizes it every year over 1400 participants this season ricky and i are are both lucky to be participating this year uh it's a unique format in which you can start two quarterbacks uh and also there are points for you lose points for being sacked, lose points for incompleting passes, but you gain points for completions, you gain points for first down. So a very interesting, wrinkly format. Ricky, why don't you tell us what your uh, your entire roster is? So, so far, started with Michael Thomas at the sixth pick. Devontae Adams fell to the next round, so I, I felt really good having what I viewed as the top two receivers. And then coming back, uh, I mean, there were some receivers taken – that you know, Tyreek Hill was taken before DeAndre Hopkins. So I was like, all right, if DeAndre Hopkins is going to fall there, uh, my other options were Zach Ertz, you know, Godwin. I felt pretty good about taking DeAndre Hopkins there. So I started receiver, 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 and they could potentially be the top three receivers in football. So I felt really good about that. And then I had a decision in round four, basically Kenny Galladay or James Conner. And I felt like the difference between them was so nominal that I probably wanted the back. So I finally took a back. Cam Akers. So I have, you know, the three receivers, two backs. 
Then the next two were Daniel Jones, who's not a perfect fit for this format, and then Jared Goff, who I took over Ryan Tannehill, and we can we can talk about why uh, in a little bit. And then Mike Gesicki. So you know, I have the positions that I felt like I needed to this point. I just didn't do them in the order I thought I was going to. You know, if Lamar Jackson were to have fallen at me at six, that that's where I really wanted to go. Did you think at all about taking Dak or Kyler there at six, or or taking Travis Kelsey? I was between Thomas, Travis Kelsey, and Dak were my were the three that I was between because I felt like in this format uh, the completion percentage with Dak was was easier to rely on. But I just ended up going Michael Thomas basically because I had Travis Kelsey in this league last year and I felt it was a little bit more tight end heavy. Uh, and the first downs, to me, Michael Thomas with all those targets was just such a lock to be there in terms of you know league leaders and first downs. So yes, I considered those guys, but I didn't want to reach on the quarterback you know, in Dak, which it, it actually turned out to be a reach. Dak didn't go until about 10 picks later when I can have the best receiver in the league right there. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think your start of Thomas Adams Hopkins is for a format where people, I, I think format, people are clearly undervaluing wide receivers, right? DeAndre Hopkins going in the third round is absurd. You know, in this format, he should be closer to going as, you know, closer to going in the first round. Like, like I think once you get past the, the five running backs, the two quarterbacks and the two tight ends, I think you got to go Hopkins. And, and so I, I love your, I love your start. Um, I love that you were like, your running backs are going to be better than mine for sure. You were able to get James Conner at the 407. James Conner was off the board when I picked at the 409. I mean, that's who I wanted. I, I wanted, I wanted, uh, I wanted him big time. And then, I mean, slam dunk with, with Conner and Akers. Like you, you had to be feeling very good about that start. Yeah, exactly. And I thought I was going to have a decision between Chris Carson and Akers and Chris Carson ends up going two picks before me. But I honestly, in this draft, I'm just playing for the upside anyways. Like, I feel better about Cam Akers' chances to just blow the lid off this league than I do Chris Carson with Carlos Hyde added to the mix. So I'm playing for upside. I mean, this is a free league. And even if it wasn't, I mean, you're playing in a league with so many teams. You want to be shooting for first place out of this many teams. You've got to be taking chances. So I'd rather go with the unknown of Cam Akers on a team where it doesn't seem like either of the other running backs have, have earned any trust from the coaching staff. And what if they give, you know, Cam Akers, you know, after game four, like a Todd Gurley workload because they just realize he's the guy to me. I, I felt like I had to be taking him there. I was very excited about taking him there. And yeah, I do feel like I got the running backs I needed to complement that trio. I was feeling very good after that. Uh, I don't know how I'm feeling after the quarterbacks, but, but at round five, that was probably the peak of my emotions in this draft. Yeah, I mean, I, I would I would definitely be feeling good. Um, are you are you are you tilted that you do not have a stack built in right now? So, you know, you have Daniel, and not to say you couldn't, you know, Sterling Shepard, Golden Tate, Darius Slayton, all of those guys are out there on the board. Uh, you've probably missed with Goff, though. I guess you could be planning on taking Gerald Everett, you know, with your 18th round pick or whatever. Uh, you're assuming Cam Akers is not going to be a receiving back. What if we have the greatest rookie receiving season from a running back ever? All of a sudden, we've got a Jared Goff, Cam Akers stack. I actually have a stack that's probably counterproductive unless we have an offense that is amongst the most productive offenses in the league. And I think the Rams with McVay have a chance to bounce back. Remember, Jared Goff threw 32 touchdowns two years ago. Uh, so I think that there is a potential for this offense to be very good. But yeah, I was a little tilted. I would have liked to have paired you know, one of these guys. Maybe I'll be searching for Sterling Shepard round 10 or 11 just to, just to have that with Daniel Jones. Um, but I, I feel okay just because of the value that I've gone with and I haven't reached on guys, but it may get to the point where I just need a Giants receiver or a Rams, you know, pass catcher. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I think you definitely are going to be wanting to target, you know, Slayton, Tate, uh, Shepard. Like, I, I think those are guys are pretty much a requirement for your roster, especially because you have not taken a wide receiver since the 306. But, you know, this is your platform. Sell us sell us all on uh, on Mr. Mike Gesicki, your boy. Well, first of all, how many other players in this league do you know that can throw a ball over a house and catch it? So, I mean... Does, does anything else really need to be said? I know there's no fantasy points awarded for that, but that 
that athletic ability is what we love about Mike Gesicki. Down the stretch, he was scoring touchdowns at a furious pace. I think he scored three touchdowns in his final four games. And I guess the the knock on him is that Chan Gailey is there. But remember, with Tony Gonzalez, uh, he was he still used him as a receiver, and he had a, a monster season. And Mike Gesicki is like the top 1% athletic at the position. I mean, it's like him, Noah Fant, and they're like – Jimmy Graham in his prime levels of, of athlete. And I think they're just too good to be held down. This is now his third year. It seemed like he finally, you know, seemed to figure it out down the stretch last year. And I don't think the the move to Tua is going to be a knock on him because Tua is known as like a breeze type in terms of his efficiency. So I think he'll love having that big target in the short field. I think there's a lot of signals that, you know, Mike Kosicki could be the breakout tight end of the year. So I took him over Higby and Gronkowski because I've been talking the talk. I got to walk the walk. Yeah, I mean, you you definitely you definitely are uh you're you're sticking to the brand, and I think that's very yep. important in these drafts, right? <laughs> like like the the most important thing is is just getting your dudes, especially because you know it's a draft where we are sitting here drafting on you know July eighth or whatever. So you you definitely you definitely got to get your dudes. Um, so I I am definitely sticking to my brand in the sense of uh, going about a zero RB as possible. So after I after I took Mahomes and Kyler, I went. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins to complete the stack. Then I took Juju Smith-Schuster in the fourth round. Then I took DJ or then I took AJ Brown. Then I took DJ Shark. And then finally I took a running back in the seventh round with J.K. Dobbins. I have a feeling, Ricky, that I am going to end up taking Mike Gesicki. Which you know, I mean, at that point, like, what is my running back two situation going to look like? How are, how are you feeling on on my team from the outside looking in? I think you've got a good start, and I think maybe the most off-brand thing you did all draft was pass on Raheem Mostert for J.K. Dobbins. I mean, if that's not a Davis Maddock, like, round of applause moment, uh, a guy scores double-digit touchdowns last year on the best rushing offense, and Davis still wants no part of him. No part. I, I, I actually mentioned in our, our private chat earlier, I was like, you know, the greatest moment of a draft is when someone else takes Raheem Mostert, like, in the fifth round, and you're like, great, there was a pick. I wouldn't have taken that guy in the seventh round, so I'm very glad that he was off the board. Uh, that that was just a, a beautiful chef's kiss moment in your draft, but... I think you got to be feeling really good. It's just a matter of what you can do with that next running back. But I think what you're probably going to do is pass for a little, just fill in some of those, you know, uh, flex spots, and then get strength in numbers for your second running back and just try and get lucky. I think that's probably the way you're going to approach this and just hope that if one guy catapults into, like, being the guy, all of a sudden your team is going to be really tough to stop with those quarterbacks and those receivers. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think if things went perfectly according to plan, which is, uh, you know, obviously very hard to do, I wanted Damian Williams to fall. I've, his ADP has been in like the eighth round in most of these, but he went in the sixth round in ours, which, you know, I was I was not considering. Uh, I would, uh, some of the guys I would be targeting at running back coming up here would be Ronald Jones. You know, if Ronald Jones is sitting there for me at the 809, I'm going to think about that. Uh, Jordan Howard is a guy I think is reasonable. Same for Matt Breida, his backfield mate. Tevin Coleman, Tony Pollard, Daryl Henderson. I kind of want, I I would like to be able to basically spend the back half of the back half of the draft, you know, after picks 12, basically like, okay, I got my two tight ends. I have every wide receiver I could ever want. I just need to be getting running back after running back after running back. And, uh, you know, it's going to kind of depend on how sharp my, league mates are between you because you know there is a big difference in getting uh you know justin jackson and chase edmonds versus getting carlos hyde and Eno benjamin because like the the upsides like the the very specific upside guys if you're drafting with sharp drafters those guys are harder to accumulate yeah i don't think luck can be overstated in these drafts because it's not like as much as we praise that draft from JJ, it's not like we would have done much different, right? I mean, if DJ Moore was there available at five, any single one of us would have taken him. If Chris Godwin was available in the fourth round, any of us would have done it. So part of these SFB drafts is like, what do the league mates around you do? And what can you kind of fall into by accident? Like, obviously you need to be sharp and identify that those are the best available players. But when they're, they fall in two rounds below where they should be, I mean, obviously you're just going to make the pick. 
Yeah, uh, I definitely, I definitely think that is true. You know, and if I was, if I was going to take one pick back here, um, I would not have taken AJ Brown, and I would have taken Cam Akers instead. I think, I think there is a chance that that was like a little bit of a structural mistake. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I would have had that same thing had I taken Kenny Galladay over Connor because I really considered that and just like going crazy with the receivers. But I felt at some point I needed to have a back. I felt basically two backs I, I thought I wanted to have that I felt good about before I started doing the Davis strategy of diving in the second half of the draft. So, yeah, I know this is a draft where you have to start, you know, strength in numbers, but I still feel because you have the minimum two running backs that you want at least two running backs that you felt okay about. So I, I think I agree with your assessment there. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I feel I feel pretty good about the team. Uh, when we return, we are going to go away from some of the niche stuff and we are going to talk about uh, some quarterback wide receiver stacks in best ball now that we do have a best ball tournament out there uh, and just overall some larger ADP conversations as we turn our eyes towards the 2020 NFL season. So we are going to go ahead and head into break here real quick on the Daily Roto Hour on SportsGrid TV. See you guys in a few minutes on the other side. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're watching Sports Grid. Get on the grid. Hello, everyone, and welcome back from break here on the Daily Roto Hour on Sports Grid TV. I'm Davis Maddox, joined by Ricky Sanders. In our first two segments, we covered the Scott Fish Bowl, a large charity fantasy football tournament, uh, over 1,400 people, a lot of, you know, pretty much all the illustrious names in fantasy football taking place. Ricky and I, lucky enough to get invited, and, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about our teams, talked a little bit about what we are trying to accomplish structurally, and I think 
you know, as we are getting closer to the football season happening, as we are getting closer to, you know, actually thinking about building fantasy football teams, how we are going to manage them in season. Ricky, I thought a really important subject to cover is stacking. And, I, you know, I really think that it's something that a lot of fantasy football owners are not thinking about in, you know, their regular team leagues. And I don't even know if people who are playing in high stakes fantasy football leagues are always thinking about it either. But, you know, really, you should want your rosters to complement one another. You should want the various parts of your rosters to work with one another. Yeah, I mean, take it from me, who really, I don't want to oversell myself, but mastered the art of mass multi-entry in football last season, where I started including quarterbacks like Ryan Fitzpatrick into builds just because you knew it was going to get you enough exposure to someone like a Devontae Parker on a week where you liked Devontae Parker. And that's how you should be thinking about, you know, stacking in in these sort of leagues. It's the way we think about stacking in daily fantasy baseball is like if you get the situation correct, you don't want to have to be, you know, too perfect where like someone just drafting the best values might end up with a Zach Ertz and someone like Dak Prescott is their quarterback. But if the if, you know, if Zach Ertz has a massive, massive year and scores, you know, 13, 14 touchdowns, it's likely because Carson Wentz had a lot to do with that. So if you get Zach Ertz right, uh, you know, it's it's like daily fantasy football in a week where you get Devontae Parker right. Ryan Fitzpatrick could be QB three on the week, but because you had, you know, a lot of exposure to Devontae Parker in doing that, uh, you're still you still have a shot for a massive first prize. And I think that is how you have to look at these sort of leagues is your margin for error is is greater. You can make more mistakes if your stack hits big time. And that's why we're talking about this is like if you have a Daniel Jones 40 touchdown season, which is the reason you're drafting him, why wouldn't you, you know, kind of try and, and propel that advantage into some of the receivers too? Because if he's going to get you there, you expect one of these guys to have a breakout year and you just want to have all of that, which is the way that you could potentially get a first prize, which is why we play daily fantasy football that way. That's why in these big money leagues, you want to play the exact same way. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And and I think the easiest way to explain why stacking works is a situation that we have all been in, you know, literally, literally hundreds of times, you know, since the beginning of fantasy football, you've been sitting there looking at your flex spot, looking at your wide receiver three, and you've been thinking, okay, you know, do I want to go Anthony Miller or McCall Hardman? Do I want to go Naheem Hines or Tony Pollard, you know, assuming that Ezekiel Elliott is healthy? Do I want to go... Chase Edmonds or Tarek Cohen, you know, just all these guys who project super similarly, the team totals are super similar, and you just you just don't really know what you want to do. And stacking specifically in two quarterback leagues, which, by the way, are, you know, really becoming more and more the norm. You know, Ricky, in these dynasty leagues that you and I play in, I think every dynasty startup that we did this offseason at Daily Roto, literally all of them were two quarterback or Superflex, and you know, then, and I actually think in Superflex, stacking becomes even more important because you have even more of a benefit of correlation. Actually, have you been playing DFS long enough to remember playing on Draft Street? Yes. Draft Street was like they had their that was just their normal game. So, I, like, oh man, this is such a throwback for those of us who have been in the daily fantasy and the sports betting industry for a long time, but. You know, basically, back in the day on Draft Street, you know, their main GVPs, their their live finals and everything were two quarterbacks, which, like, the, the game theory of stacking in that format was so massive. And it honestly was, like, un, unexplored. I remember back then it wasn't like... It wasn't like everyone in your contest would be doing that. You would you would have been, like, out on a limb to have been heavily stacking both of your quarterbacks then. Yeah, unfortunately, there's not that same advantage in daily fantasy these days. But in yearly leagues, there definitely is, where someone will be so high on, like, the quarterback they have to get, and they don't realize that then they should be completing the stack to try and just, you know, exploit what you feel is your edge. If this game has become where do I find an edge, basically in daily, in seasonal, wherever. 
And if you have a love for a quarterback, it's just strange to me, unless the guy's name is Lamar Jackson, that you wouldn't have love for some of the pass catchers on the same team. And I know a lot of the drafts that we've been discussing recently are of the snake variety, but I know there's a lot of people out there that A, aren't afraid to reach in snakes, or B, will play in auction leagues. And I just don't understand why you would be so high on a quarterback and not go out of your way to then get one of the receivers unless you feel like it's just going to be a complete spread offense. And and these days, it doesn't feel like there's too many of those in the NFL. Yeah, uh, I definitely think that's true. You also made another interesting point there, which is like in an auction league, like specifically if if you're doing a one-year, like a redraft auction league, uh, why would you not just be all in on stacking? Like, if you get if you get Patrick Mahomes, you got to get Tyreek, you got to get Kelsey. If you get Lamar, you got to get Marquise Brown. Because like, at that point, you're not even overspending in terms of average draft position. Like you, you're just going, uh, you're you're just basically, uh, you're paying appropriate prices and and you know completing the uh, the Voltron of a fantasy football team. Yeah, I remember my most dominant, two of my most dominant fantasy football teams in my career were one year where I drafted Tom Brady, Randy Moss, 1-2 that year. And honestly, I I was doing it for the fun, not even for the strategy at that point in my career. Like not realizing that that was like money if it hit, and it did. And another was a year with Peyton Manning and Demarius Thomas in an auction, and I just fell into it. And for some reason, it t- still took me a few more years to be like, well, the reason those teams were so dominant is because you had an amazing quarterback with a receiver having like historically good years. And I think people should be thinking like that is like, if I'm going to dominate this league, what's the best way to do it? Is it to nitpick like this receiver is going to be the wide receiver one, this receiver is going to be the wide receiver one here, or is it just to find the dominant offense and just, you know, kind of go as all in as you possibly can and we, we see it in, in all formats, and I think people need to get used to just committing fully to the strategy and maybe even giving up slight value in like a in like a snake league like I'm planning to do in Scott Fish to get some of those Giants receivers because I know that now that I have Daniel Jones, I'm just flat out going to need the Giants to be good to win or else I'm not winning. So that's really interesting, which is that I, I think people do forget Fantasy football is a weekly game, and you know it might even be possible that you could draft a you know a wide receiver in round eight who gets outscored by someone immediately next to him, and it's still possible that you made the the right selection just because the weeks where you start him, he's going to correlate with your quarterback, you know whoever it might be. Maybe you draft two different quarterbacks, uh, and in best ball specifically, what we really care about, and and really you should even care about in weekly leagues is like is there really a difference between four and nine points like functionally like like on a weekly basis no but there is definitely a difference between 10 points and 18 points because it's all about it's all about finding those weekly difference makers and you're so much more likely to find difference makers in your lineup when you find a correlation Exactly. And there's I mean, there's only so many ways we can we can say that without then giving you examples of players that you you likely want to be stacking. And if we're talking about any sort of best ball, it just feels like you want to find a way at if at all possible, especially if you're drafting like two, three quarterbacks. And when you get down to your third quarterback, um, you want to find a way to have the correlation, because the reason you have that many quarterbacks on your roster in a league like a best ball league is because you you want them to, to kind of take up the slack on the weeks that they have massive weeks. And if they're going to have those massive weeks, it's because receivers are going to go off. You're going to have guys with over 100 yards scoring touchdowns. And so, you know, late in drafts where you could get guys who could fall into bigger roles on the same teams, like why wouldn't you want to take that risk? It's low risk at the end of your draft anyways, and you want to find weeks where you could plug holes on like a sinking ship when your star quarterback has his worst week. And what better way to do that than to just maximize, you know, using an entire different team that week? Yeah, and I, I, you know, I also think a, um, you know, a great way to think about stacking is, you know, obviously you have to make draft picks in between, you know, rounds 15 and 20 in these best ball drafts, and you're not going to feel strong conviction about either one of them. 
So correlating those picks to your quarterbacks or, you know, to your, your running backs or whatever, like, you know, so if you take Deshaun Watson, your late round picks, you know, become Kenny Stills and, and Randall Cobb. If you take Aaron Rodgers, you can take, you know, Alan Lazard, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Jay Sternberger. If you take Lamar Jackson, you can take Miles Boykin. If you take Patrick Mahomes, you can take Sammy Watkins instead of just trying to kind of, you know, uh, you know, search through the dark and find the best plays. Because the, the truth is, we don't really know who the best plays are, especially before the season. Are there any, like, places you would you would draw the line? Like, is a Larry Fitzgerald, like, an upside guy late who you would be pairing with Kyler Murray? Or would you just say to yourself, like, maybe this is a spot where I need to, to like, instead of stacking, go in a different direction? Or maybe just take a higher upside player on the same team? Um, I mean, I the the way that I approach Kyler Murray teams is I select Andy Isabella in the fourth round. I, I think you make a great point, though. When thinking about stacking, you can take floor players. Like, I actually, it, it, it's going to sound so weird for me to say this because I'm such a, a noted hater of olds, but I actually think you can take Larry Fitzgerald reasonably in, in best ball with Kyler, especially if you don't get DeAndre Hopkins, because they don't have a tight end that's going to encroach on his targets at all. Yeah, I agree. And I, by the way, I've fallen into Larry Fitzgerald and a lot of best balls just because I've gone cheap with my like later round receivers. I've like invested in a, an early receiver or two. So he's just kind of made sense for me. But I, I just wanted to see your opinion on, on where the line is drawn. Yeah. All right, everyone, we are going to go ahead and head into our final break here on the Daily Roto Hour on SportsGrid TV. When we return, we will dig a little bit out of theory land and go back to some actual practical applications to how we can make your fantasy football teams better in 2020. We will be breaking down our favorite stacks to be doing in all types of different formats, best ball, regular tournaments, every, every way that you can imagine. So we will see you guys in just a few minutes on the other side of break with our recommendations and in stacks for fantasy football in 2020. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up as well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening if you love sports and true crime then there's a new podcast from executive producer dan patrick and hosted by me jay harris that you won't want to miss playing dirty sports scandals each week i'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever i'm talking marcus dixon olympic gymnastics kane velasquez salacious super bowl level scandals Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hello, everyone, and welcome back from break here on the Daily Roto Hour on SportsGrid TV. I'm Davis Maddock, joined by Ricky Sanders. In our third segment, we discussed stacking in fantasy football, why it is so important, why it is imperative that you do it in every format, best ball, regular tournament, you know, your your 12-team league with your buddies, your 10-team home league with your buddies, you know, doesn't uh, doesn't particularly matter. And, Ricky, I, I think now we need to, we need to dive out of theory land and we need to we need to bring the people back to to what we are all uh you know what we're all here for which is the picks because you got to just pick the right players at the end of the day you can you can have all the theory you can have the perfect structure but uh, it doesn't really matter if you don't pick the best players yeah and i'm gonna start with one of my favorite stacks that i think is attainable in in basically all formats, whether it's, you know, auction, whether it's a, a snake league. And that's once you've drafted Calvin Ridley, who I I really am passing on Julio Jones specifically for this year. Look, I think Julio Jones is a great receiver, but I think there's a very good chance that Calvin Ridley is on par with his production. And I, I think there's a greater than 10% chance that he's the number one guy in this offense. And once you've gone with him, you might as well go Matt Ryan. And part of the reason that I'm so all in on that stack is the fact that I don't have faith in Todd Gurley's knee, apparently like the Falcons do, or like a lot of the fantasy football community does. And if their running game is struggling, you could see some serious volume from Matt Ryan to the point where, honestly, both Julio Jones and Ridley can get it done. But where we've talked stacks this whole time, and we've talked, you know, we've mentioned the name Patrick Mahomes, we mentioned the name Lamar Jackson. Look, you're probably not landing Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek right. Hill in any leagues unless you're absolutely reaching. But I think this one is absolutely attainable because Matt Ryan always seems to even in like your average Joe leagues fall to like the sixth, seventh round sort of place. I think you can nab Calvin Ridley, Matt Ryan back to back in these sort of drafts and feel really good about having the potential for an upper echelon offense that could go off on any given week. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And I, and I think you I think you do make a great point, which is that, you know, likely in a one quarterback league, which probably most people listen to this are playing, you know, it's just you're, you're not going to have Patrick Mahomes. You're not going to have Lamar Jackson. And, um, you know, the, the, the cool thing about best ball is you're going to get some insane performances out of your quarterbacks here or there. Uh, you know, and and you want it, you want to correlate those really properly, which is of course, you know, the reason for stacking. So uh, a cheap one that I really love is DJ Shark and Gardner Minshew. I think Shark is, you know, really one of these guys who is. A couple years from now, we're going to look back on things and be like, you know, DJ Shark really is one of the 10 best wide receivers in football. You know, he really is in that class with, you know, guys we think of now is like you know, Julio Jones and Odell Beckham and Allen Robinson. Like, I think DJ Shark, like DJ Shark might end up being, you know, really like the new version of Allen Robinson, which is crazy. But I, you know, I do actually think that Shark is that talented for sure. And then Minshew is totally free. You can take him with the last pick in your draft. And Ricky, I actually think people don't realize that he runs. He ran for 360 yards last year, no rushing touchdowns. So a little bit of bad luck there. And that that rushing upside, you know, you you basically add five extra touchdowns over the course of a year if you're a quarterback that runs a little bit. I am I am all over this one for best ball. Yeah, and it's interesting because DJ Chark was basically only a target a game above DD Westbrook last year. Uh, Seven point nine for Chark, DD Westbrook six point seven, Conley five point six. But I still think I would take the over on eight targets a game for Chark this year, even with LaVisca Chenault there, because I think, and I think you think as well, that Leonard Fournette is going to be the one suffering with with the way they're going to use Chenault, which they're going to use him out of the backfield. That's going to be a thing. They're basically going to use him everywhere, and he's going to get a bunch of the short targets that were going elsewhere. But I still think that Chark is going to be used as the true number one. And with only 118 targets in 15 games, he went over 1,000 yards with eight TDs last year. Uh, What are you setting the over-under at for targets this year, if you like him? He was at 118 last year with a game missed. Let's assume a 16-game pace. You think 125 or higher? Uh, higher for sure. Yeah. No, no doubt about it. Yeah. I think I probably think the over under somewhere around like one thirty two and a half. 
I would. I think I would take the over all the way up to like 139. And I, I think okay. there is a total, like, let's say Chenault, you know, kind of takes a little while to get ready. Tyler Eifert, you know, is banged up to start the year. I, I think he could see like some absurd Devontae Adams level volume because he just is so much better than the other wide receivers on that roster. Yeah, if Chenault takes a while to get ready, I feel like Didi has kind of worn out his welcome to the point that I think they would try to get, you know, maybe some of the receiving backs involved if, if Chenault was struggling, uh, maybe more Chris Thompson, maybe more of Josh Oliver, who's an up-and-coming tight end. I mean, maybe they would go elsewhere, but I, I think, yeah, pretty much any scenario, you're getting a big target year out of Chark, unless Chenault just becomes like their Percy Harvin in year one, which I don't see. Yeah, I I uh I don't see that one either. Uh, okay, what is uh what is another affordable stack that you are that you are in on? You know, not not Lamar, not uh you know not not Michael Thomas, Drew Brees. One that that people can actually uh, put together. Oof, so I'm gonna stay on brand with the way I just drafted an SFB and go Daniel Jones. I think he's much better in like your average format than he is in this SFB format because you have the incompletions, which I don't love. But hey, he was there. I think I took him at QB 20. Uh, so 19 guys were selected before him, and I felt good with that. Then the question becomes, who do you pair him with? I think Evan Ingram is probably a pipe dream in terms of like afford affordability. So I think I would go back to the well with Sterling Shepard here, but I think it's possible for you to draft multiple of his receivers and, you know, basically feel good about it because I think Daniel Jones uh, has the potential to throw for 40 touchdowns. I think he's going to be throwing early and often. There may be some interceptions along the way, but I think this this – uh, Giants offense is going to be pretty good. And if it's pretty good, John, you're going to need Jones. So I think Jones and Shepard, but I am not basically averse to taking either Slayton or Tate along with it. And you can kind of, as the season goes along, rotate them in. Uh, yeah, I am. I'm not opposed. I'm not opposed. Uh, I actually love that one. Um, huge for that one is going to be if Evan Ingram is healthy. You know, the, the research that we have available on guys who suffer that Liz Frank injury and then the next year it's not great. Now, of course, every year modern medicine gets a little bit better. You know, the athletes are even better. You know, Evan Ingram is in a lot better shape than guys who were getting Liz Frank injuries 10 years ago. And I, I really love his upside for fantasy when he's healthy. You know, I think he, he basically plays like a wide receiver. So I am I am completely in on that one. Daniel Jones actually just kind of overall is kind of my answer to who is the guy that, uh, you know, who is the guy that breaks fantasy football in terms of late round QB scoring in 2020, you know, really would not surprise me if, uh, you know, if he is the guy who has the QB six season while being drafted as like the QB 18. Exactly. I'm, I'm right there with you. And if it's not him, uh, a, he's being drafted as QB 14 in this football guys championship. So you could just pair him with another quarterback. I think any Ben Roethlisberger stack is going to be affordable because Ben Roethlisberger is so affordable. So whoever you take with him, I know the masses a lot are on Deontay Johnson. I'm more of the, the train of thought that Juju Smith-Schuster is going to get back and going as soon as Ben Roethlisberger's there. So that Juju-Ben stack that I think people are a year removed from being burned from has the potential to, to light the fantasy football landscape on fire. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I, I completely agree with that one. Uh, some of the other ones that I think are uh, in play, I, I love the... Carson Wentz, wide receiver of your choice. Now, this one, obviously, I think if you take Zach Ertz in the third round, you should basically be like, okay, I will take Carson Wentz, you know, a full round ahead of ADP because I need to finish this one out. But the way that the Eagles wide receiver situation is set up right now, if you have a strong conviction there, you can just get your dude because Rager, Deshaun Jackson, Alshon Jeffrey, Arcega Whiteside, even Dallas Goddard. I mean, these guys are stone cold free. You can select them, you know, in the 13th round or later, basically. And I mean, I, I guarantee one of those guys will be good for fantasy. I don't know which one because we don't know Alshon Jeffrey's health. Deshaun Jackson might get cut. We don't know if Jalen Rager is going to be ready to go. Obviously, he hasn't even gotten the Eagles training camp yet. J.J. Arcega-Whiteside didn't play at all last year. But, one, I mean, one of those guys is going to be good. They have to be, right? Yeah, I think Rager's the guy that I would be betting on. Uh, the, the situation with Jackson just got a lot murkier, and, and we were already off Alshon Jeffrey. So, 
I think they drafted Rager knowing that they needed some wide receiver production this year with the unsurety around him. They actually added some other receivers as well. So I, I think they realized that the production was going to be shaky and you can't just rely on the tight end. So I think Rager gets, gets a large target share in year one. Yeah, I, I definitely um, I, I definitely think that is possible. Um, all right, round us out here with uh, another another stack that you are into, uh, a cheaper one. Well, I'm a believer in Alan Lazard as, as the wide receiver two on the Packers. So what the hell? What does Aaron Rodgers have left? I, I, I mean, I want to say something with Matthew Stafford because I'm so in on him. The problem is I think you want Kenny Galladay if you're going with him. With Aaron Rodgers, you can get some more affordable pass catchers. And look, he's not dead yet. And I think Lazard is being underdrafted if you, you know, take into consideration who the other guys to get targets are. Sure, we could see, you know, Devontae Adams just run away with the target share. But I think Lazard has the possibility, you know, for over a thousand yards this year. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely I definitely agree with that. Um, and I, I think that the, the main reason why this one is so interesting is everyone is kind of taking Green Bay's word for it that they are going to be a more aggressive running team. You know, they draft A.J. Dillon. Uh, they haven't paid Aaron Jones yet, though they probably will be. And everyone's just like, oh, well, you know, that just, it, it is the way it is. They're going to run the ball more. But they went 13-3 and last year getting so lucky. They're not going to get that lucky this year. They're going to be in way more competitive game scripts. You know, do we think that actually... They're going to be a way more pass-heavy team, and there's like going to be a role there for Jay Sternberger and a role for Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Alan Lazard and Aaron Jones can catch 60 passes. Like, I kind of think things could go that direction with them. I do too. Like they think they're just going to run all over teams and actually that division is somewhat competitive. I think the Lions have a potential to show up this year and surprise some people. So yeah, exactly. I think not only could they be more pass heavy, but I think people aren't really committing to just how solidified I think the role is for Lazard at wide receiver two. Yeah. Um, and it, it does seem pretty solidified because they would have drafted somebody, right? If they, if they really viewed that problem as a concern i know we think that the packers had a bad draft and they did have a bad draft but you know it, it's like it would be an inexcusably bad draft to the point where like you know the the gutenkoist would have been fired for sure if if the team did not believe in you know one of equinemius st brown marquez valdez scaling alan Lazard. by the way what a great bunch of names the green bay packers wide receiver crew has you just uh, it's just absolutely hilarious but uh, everyone, that's going to do it for us here today on the Daily Roto Hour on Sports Grid TV. Hope you guys feel enlightened. Hope you guys enjoyed our conversation on fantasy football. We will be continuing to break this stuff down throughout the course of the offseason. And, uh, you know, just go ahead and good luck on your wagers over the next couple days. We will see you guys back tomorrow. Talk to you then. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nick 
Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glazer Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glazer Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glazer Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening.